scheduled. It is time once again for the Cubs Weekly Podcast presented by Trust, proud legacy partner of the Chicago Cubs, an exclusive home for Chicago Cubs checking. You can open online today at Wintrust.com slash Cubs Weekly. And today you see, well, I'm rolling with Tony Andraki and our special guest, the one and only Doug Glanville, marquee sports network analyst and host of Class is in Session, which, oh, by the way, airs Thursday at 5 p.m. on Marquee Sports Network after Cubs Post Game Live. And on this week's episode, our guy Doug, he's going to chat with the powerhouse lineup. It's Bill James, Sarah Langs, and J-Row, Jimmy Rollins. How about that? And they're going to talk about the role of analytics in baseball. And it's also going to be available on the Marquee Sports Network app after the show hits the airwaves. Now, Doug, what stood out the most when you got to chat with Bill, Sarah, and especially J-Row, man? I'll tell you, Cole, this this was a lot of fun. Uh, as you know, I played with Jimmy Rollins many years in Philadelphia. I worked with Sarah Langs at ESPN for uh, many years. And uh, and Bill James has been sort of the icon, you know, the the glue yep. that put together this whole sabermetrics analytics revolution where it it kind of entered all of our homes, not just sort of the the experts who are building and, and assembling these teams. So it was a great conversation. I mean, I think about Jimmy. One of the things we were trying to capture was the idea that uh, there's numbers and there's data, but what about the storytelling side of it? Uh, what makes a player great or what makes a team successful? Some of it is really hard to quantify. A lot of the things that endure in our memories are really qualitative, not quantitative. So we talked a lot about that. And, and Sarah Lang's, you know, one of the points she makes is about how you know, we, we look at these numbers, which we love in baseball, and we think about some of the great moments in the game. And when you ask a trivia question around it, that could be anyone. Not every answer is the best five players in the game. Uh, you know, the leader in pinch hit home runs in one season is not Hank Aaron, right? <laughs> so, um, you know, that's what's so fun about it. And Jimmy talks about a lot of the moments that stuck with him as a player that is beyond the numbers. And then when you tie it together with Bill James, who really, you know, he makes the annual yearbook around baseball and the state of the union for the game. Then you get a sense of what analytics can mean, uh, the advantages and disadvantages, and some of the ways that it's an important part of our game today that uh, doesn't doesn't get a lot of credit in some ways. So I, I found it to be a lot of fun. Jimmy's always entertaining for sure, and uh, and and Bill just kind of kept it real when it came to the data. Uh, now, Doug, before we get to Tony real quick, when, when, when you talk about the analytics in baseball, I, I don't know what side of the fence you're on when it comes to analytics, but something tells me that you may be just straddling right across the middle because, you know, my viewpoint is when it comes to analytics, and I mean, you've forgotten more about baseball than I've ever known, but my viewpoint is that analytics are almost like seasoning, seasoning for a meal. If you're, if you're cooking a meal, if you put too much seasoning on, you'll ruin the whole dish. If you don't put enough on, you know, it's, it's not enough flavor. So you have to use those analytics sparingly because sometimes, you know, they can back you into a corner and, and, and give you the wrong information when you're in the middle of processing things. Well, you know, that's true, Cole. And, and I think that with analytics, it's a broad term, but baseball has always been about numbers. They've sure. just evolved over time. And what you're seeing more today in, in the modern game is it's working in real time. I mean, really how you build your bullpen, how you manage your bullpen, the player usage, the pitchers. I mean, you're synthesizing so much data during the game. And that's what one of the things that we see is kind of, I guess, slow with the game relative to the path. You're like, okay, what, you know, there's a lot of thought going into every move, every personnel decision. And, and so there's a balance you have to keep between entertainment and fun and pace and tempo and also just 
maximizing a return, an economic equation, for example, to decide like what is winning baseball? Because you can't really measure, you know, sort of a John Lester, right? The heart of a man, right? It's, it's yeah. hard to put that, to explain that. What does it mean when someone can have 30 starts over whatever, 10 years? Uh, these are things that are, are so unique. You might be able to measure it in retrospect, but it's hard to do it in real time. And that's what everybody's watching, what's happening now. So, you know, so I know that there is going to always be this tug of war, old school, new school. It doesn't matter what sport. I mean, basketball, they're firing up threes all the time, right? And basketball doesn't get the heat that baseball gets in analytics. And clearly analytics has driven how players have decided or teams have decided in basketball that if you shoot 40% at three-point land, that's a winning formula. I don't care if you're down by 12, you can come back in four shots. So a lot of these games have been, uh, been in this world. I think baseball because of our love of numbers, it becomes more present and more obvious. Well, Tony, would you agree there's one skipper in Major League Baseball who wishes that he wouldn't have put so much seasoning on his dish, and that's Kevin Cash, because uh, we saw what happened with Blake Snell, and like Doug said, you can't measure the heart of a man like uh, John Lester. I mean, Blake Snell, he was absolutely rolling in the World Series, and you know, I, I was driving in the car, and the game was on, I was with my daughter, and I said, you know what, they just took Blake Snell out, they're going to lose this game, and they're going to lose the World Series, and I'm, I'm no prognosticator, but that's what happens when you lean on those numbers sometimes too much. They can backfire on you, Tone. Yeah, they can for sure. And and I think it's um, – I like your point, your analogy, Cole, about seasoning because that is true. Like if you oversalt something, it, it just tastes horrible. But you Terrible. obviously – you need salt and pepper, butter, whatever else it is to – Crush red pepper as well. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Up. There yeah. you go. But, uh, but yeah, I think – and it's – so you don't want to be overwhelmed by the information. So like the Cubs and other teams, they'll have like one sheeters or they'll have the little pockets or um, cards that they pull out of their pockets. And it's just a little snippet of information that helps them. I think that's where analytics can come into play in the game. So when you're between the lines, you, you focus on one or two, you know, small items. And especially for the managers, you try to just narrow it down, whittle it down to like one thing. And I think that's where you can do both. The, the analytics really can help out off the you know pregame or on an off day or leading up to something else like hey I'm hitting the ball too much like this or hey I need to get under it over the off season especially as well and when you're building a roster you want to have like a mix and you want to look at the analytics but but it is really interesting I mean Ian Happ talked about early in the season he looks at all those numbers he knows what his woba is and what his expected slugging and all these different things and he was joking. He was like, I'll look at whatever looks good. So if my actual numbers are good, but my expected numbers are not as good, I'll look at the actual numbers. If my expected numbers are good, but the actual numbers are bad, I'll look at the expected numbers. He's like, it's all about getting that feel, getting that confidence. And that's where I think you have to, to pare it down. You can't, if you focus on every stat, you're, you're just going to, you know, it'd be paralysis by analysis. You're going to be like, completely out of control and it, and it could you know make you feel crappy at the plate it could make you feel more anxious whatever it is but if you look at the right things and you digest them in the right way then I think that's that's where it's helpful and we're seeing some of that uh just throughout the game I mean the shifting and all of this other stuff like yeah the Mariners are hitting 199 as a team we've seen five no hitters but that's also partly because Six. Madison Bumgarner, seven innings, <laughs> official game. It's okay. an official game for Major League Baseball, so that's an official no-hitter. That's my stance on that one, Tony. I, I don't disagree because I count Kyle Hendricks' seven-inning uh, performance against the Dodgers as a complete game, so I don't, I, I'm with you on that. But, yeah, either way, it's just the shifting, all these, all the data has obviously proven that you – they know what's going to happen and they, they try to play the percentages as much as possible. But like to Doug's point too, you can't measure that 
how a guy is going to handle a big moment or uh, really take, take control of his career and take control of the game and, and that will to win that they talk about. It's like both of these things are important and very key to the game, the product they put on the field. Yeah, and Doug, I don't want to sound like the old dude in the club looking like The Rock wearing a turtleneck and a fanny pack, you know, <laughs> with, a, with, a, with a napkin underneath my elbows. I lean for a picture. But, you know, when it comes to these guys and, and the shifts and, and the, the information cards and pitchers pulling out scouting reports out of their hat, I mean, it's almost like they're overthinking things. I mean, if you look at the game of baseball, I mean, is there more of a perfect game that was laid out, you know, almost 200 years ago? They said, hey, bases, 90 feet. Six, feet, six inches for the pitcher's mound and every position is perfectly placed if a ball's hit one way if, if it's third baseman right fielder center fielder shortstop they can all converge and everyone has a chance at that so when i feel like just the shifts and you just see the shift i don't know if it's overused right now but i mean sometimes it's it's used to a detriment and, and sometimes guys and teams they, they they back themselves into that corner by by shifting and now we're starting to see some guys just go a little more contact uh contact approach a little more station to station and, and they're punching balls through that shift well the shifting data shows that it, it works that's why the teams do it and it takes the more they do it the more runs they save if you're strategic and you have the information they're going to use it and you know you think about you know, listen to a game on the radio for example and there's this silence right pitcher versus you're waiting for the pitch all this time throughout history, nobody moved in between that. You know, it was, it was like the, you know, the, the it wasn't like the Cowboys line of scrimmage or something that does their little flex defense or whatever. It, people just did nothing. And you realize that, wait a minute, you could actually be in a better position and, and actually neutralize the chance of the other, uh, the hitter getting a, a hit. And so that's been implemented. And I even think you even have to call it a shift anymore it's really just normal defense now because right. there's more shifts than like non-shifts at this point but you know yeah. but that was part of what happens with you bring in the economists you bring in theo epstein's you bring in people that are, are data driven and and sure there's a line there where you have to decide is this actually enjoyable like people are because what you know here's a perfect example you know i stole bases so if i get to second base today i'm going to say wait a minute now if i make it with this many outs, I just increased my chance of scoring a run by 20%. But if I get caught, I just decreased the chance of our team scoring by 40%. So the problem is when you start going 20, 40, and you see the 40s always dominant, you just cut out all risk altogether. And then you just never steal third, right? So you can make the argument that if you're becoming such a risk averse game, because that's what it's becoming, right? Don't do this because it's as low percentage, this is high percentage then you kind of lose what I would call the minority report. The fact that nobody could have said, you know, Ozzie Smith would hit a home run or, or David Ross would hit a home run off of Andrew Miller. And, in the you know, these are low percentage plays that happen. And that's what we remember, right? These are, that's the soul of the game. It's Kyle Hendricks going into the eighth when he's supposed to be out in the sixth and finding something else. That's what makes the game relatable to all of us, right? Because, you know, there's something extra and that, you know, his humanity is on the line. That's what we love about baseball. It's every day, you know, yeah. it's clockless, you know? So, uh, so that's the concern that, you know, uh, we had Joe Madden on our podcast uh, with Jason Stark uh, last year. And he says, he said, everybody has the same data and therefore everybody's producing the same car. And, and so you lose that personality, right? That because everybody's taking the data and like churning it, and, you know, think about the 80s, you had the Cardinals, 
with speedball chopping it. You had the Harvey's wall bangers with the Brewers hitting home runs and all these teams were different. The Phillies, the pitchers hit. So, you know, you're losing that personality. So I think you're starting to see teams try to do something different to embody like a David Ross style, but it's hard to go against the tides of data because they don't, they wouldn't do it if they didn't think it would help them. Well, Doug, like you said, you know, when it comes to the, the 20 versus 40%, you know, if you, if you steal that base, it gives you a 40% chance of scoring. And if you, if you get thrown out, you know, it, it decreases you being able to score by like 20%. But if, if Dave Roberts would have never stole second base, I mean, who knows yeah. what, what would the Boston Red Sox be? Would they have gone on to win multiple world series after that world series that they won initially and, and ending that 87 year curse? I mean, who knows? And, and Tony, when you take a look at some of the things when, when it comes to stealing bases, you know, a lot of people say it's given away and out, but I mean, if you put yourself, in position to, to steal the bases the right way. If you go on first movement on a lefty, if, if you're, if you're watching the feet of a pitcher that that's a right-handed pitcher and you, you see that, that front foot move and you, and you split, you're gone. I think it's, it's a risk reward game. I mean, if you want to take those risks and put your team in a better position to win, sometimes you, you can't think about the negative. If, if I get thrown out, this is what's going to happen. I mean, that's almost like going to the plate saying to yourself, Hey, hey, hey I, I don't want to strike out. That this just don't strike out. You got to go up to the plate thinking, hey, you know what? I'm going to put this ball in play at all costs. And that's what we're seeing with guys like Nico Horner and Matt Duffy. They're letting the ball get a little deeper in their batting stance and they're spraying it around. And then you can't shift on cats like that. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, you look at, talk about the stolen base and Duffy all together. We saw in the last homestand against the Pirates, Jason Hayward stole second base. Matt Duffy Huge. ended up coming through, you know, going to the right side. And it wasn't great contact. He got just enough of it off the end of the bat to get over the second base in his head into right field. Hayward comes around, you know, great slide at second, great slide at home. And just like that, the Cubs produced a run. And it was like, yeah, it's, it, that's just a little bit different. We haven't seen that from the Cubs a ton lately. You know, they, the past few years, they have been a lot more Homer reliant and, and that's where the stolen base, you know, those are the things you remember, like Doug said, like, you can remember that. Like if I'm looking to Monday night's game or Tuesday night's game, they got thrown out twice. Wilson Contreras and Javi Baez both got thrown out trying to steal second. Yep. We don't know what would have happened. We do know what did happen with that Duffy, that Hayward play. And, and that ended up leading to a Cubs win. And so I think that we've seen a, a decent amount of that. I mean, David Ross is playing this kind of contact oriented uh, smaller ball, you know, Cole, your, your favorite approach because Cubs are second in, in the national league still, I think in stolen bases, they are letting Matt Duffy play every day to the point where Chris Bryant hasn't played infield uh, or hasn't played third base. I should say April 20th. Yeah. Right. Like almost a month he's played yeah. some first base, but like, other than that, Bryant's basically an outfielder. Duffy's spending a lot of time at third. Nico Horner comes up and spends a lot of time at second. Like the, the Cubs are finally have that balance in the lineup that we see that diversifies it, you know, where you have contact bats, you have power, you have a little bit of speed. And we've seen them be arguably the best offense in baseball over the last month. I don't think that's any coincidence at all. And, and Doug, you know, for, for me, when it comes to playing small ball, you know, we, we've talked about this with Tony and I've talked about it, you know, with a bunch of guys we do Cubs live and Cubs post game live with it. it, it I feel like outs are baseball currency. You know, people say you're giving away outs when you steal bases. You're giving away outs when you lay down bunts. I mean, we, we saw Zach Davies in Tuesday night's game. He got down two sacrifice bunts. And what did that do? Yep. That, that was able to score three runs in the process. And when, when you talk about outs being baseball currency, sometimes you have to spend those outs 
in order to get runs. It's almost like you know, you can't just walk into Jewel Osco and say, hey, I'm going to take this, this spicy guacamole and these tortilla chips, and I'm just going to roll out. No, you have to pay for those. And sometimes when you want to score runs, you have to pay for them. And sometimes the, the way to pay for those runs are via outs. Well, nothing is more giving away outs than striking out. What are you doing? You're just doing nothing. You're accomplishing nothing in terms of putting the ball in play, put pressure on defense. I and mean, we saw it the other night. I mean, Chris Bryant, you know, Trey Turner, you know, kicked one a little bit. And, you know, all of a sudden stuff happens if you just force the team to, to make the plays. And by the way, watching the Nationals are leading baseball in defensive run save. But if you give them more plays, they're human. Stuff, stuff happens. So it's that pressure game. And, but the thing is, if you don't reward it, you know, whether it's contractually or you see the W's come in, it's hard to get the culture shift behind it to say, yeah, I'm going to change from this. Because right now, you know, if you're going to arbitration and are you going to say, well, hey, I struck out 40 times less than that guy and I got 10 more singles. Hey, pay me more. No, you're going to, you're going to say, oh, I struck out more, but I hit 20 more home runs. That's my payday. That's that's what you're running up against. And and I remember Bill James, who was, who was on the show, he had an article in his almanac, I think two years ago, or his uh, baseball yearbook, saying that this was the first year in quite some time that the top 10 teams in strikeouts finally started to see that it wasn't a benefit. They weren't making the playoffs. So until you get to the point where the data shows that this is hurting you, people are like, whatever, if I strike out, it doesn't matter. I'm going to, as long as I hit more home runs because of it, Crazy. my two strike approaches, let me run into one instead of maybe slap one to the right side. So you need like a culture shift, not just in the game, but if your team, like a David Ross invests and says, look, I don't care. I want us to move runners. I want us to do that. And you get buy-in and you're successful. Yeah. People will replicate that, but that's what it takes. Cause otherwise right now they're not seeing the, they're not seeing the reward of it. Uh, they're just seeing that everybody's launching and I'm going to keep launching even if I strike out. And, and those are completely unproductive outs. Yeah, and Doug, to that point too, I mean, the Cubs clearly have had some buy-in here where a guy like Matt Duffy is able to affect the lineup. He's new here. He's only really been in this clubhouse for the past like three months or whatever. But it's just it's just interesting how they're, one, receptive to that. But uh, Doug, I'm also curious your take on like how Duffy's journey is. You know, he's a 30-year-old. He um, obviously he didn't play at all last year. He came up with second in the, in the National League and Rookie of the Year voting in 2015. But just what... Um, it, it sounds like his perspective is so much different that he has understood his strengths and weaknesses. He wants to be himself, but he also understands the mental aspect of the game. And I'm curious, like how that grew for you or, or how you saw that change. Like, you know, when you were 30 years old compared to when you were 23 or Nico Horner's age, how that grew and developed and how you think that affected you on the field, as well as like your interactions with the other guys in the clubhouse too. the way we've seen Duffy take an L's a lie and, and talk to him in the middle of a start or affect some other position players and the entire lineup as a whole. Very important. And, and if you're fortunate to play long enough in the game, you see generational shifts right in front of your own eyes. I mean, I would say like every three years, you kind of have a shift of generation uh, because that's how quick a career turns over. And the thing about Duffy is he knows who he is as a player. And there's times that the generation changes and that doesn't, it doesn't reward you. Look, I, you know, I played in the dead of the steroid era and, and I, you know, there's no way I'm going to compete with center fielders hitting 50 home runs. It's just not going to happen. Not if I just, unless I decide to get on the juice myself. Right. So those are existential questions that players face, no matter who you are. And, and some generations fit better in your style. If they say the stolen base is King, that's good for me or defense is King. 
I remember I interviewed with the Rays in 2014 for the for Kevin Cassis's current job. And, and one thing that I learned about that is at the end, most of their questions were really about managing people. They weren't really about data. And when they hired Cash years later, I was working for ESPN. I went to meet uh, Eric Neander, who was the, the guy, one of the guys who interviewed me with the Rays. And one question I had from him was like, oh, I see you signed Kevin Kiermaier on a long-term deal. And his response was, Kevin Kiermaier and players like him will never be undervalued again, right? So this is a glove guy, right? Not hitting for, you know that high for an average or power, but he's just a great defender. So when you have a, a buy-in and you have a culture shift and you're a Matt Duffy and you have an organization that appreciates you, you still you know, can't replace experience. Experience is still gold. I mean, you know what to expect. And someone like Duffy has the aptitude to adapt enough to still create the strength in it. And, and you're seeing a guy show you the value of contact, moving runners, playing, being versatile. And in fact, that's the best thing for Chris Bryant. I mean, it's, it's hard to explain about why Chris Bryant is so great. It's more than his numbers. It's the fact that he's just under the radar enough from a defensive strength that he can play everywhere, right? And so you put, a, you put an MVP bat anywhere and it's enough to be serviceable in these positions that's actually a great strength. I mean, only one other player in the history of the game played 10 or more games at three positions and won the MVP. That was, that was Johnny Bench, who played left outfield a little bit. So, you know, that, that's, you know, Chris Bryant works so well when he has a partner. That's the thing about it. And that's what Duffy is given right now. Yeah. That is so intangible. So, you know, so there's no doubt that his leadership, he has a lot to offer. And I'm glad to see that he's imparting that on younger players. Yeah, Doug, we always goof around. I would say that uh, Chris Bryant is like a, a better version of Mark McLemore because dude can go out there and play wherever <laughs> he wants to play and, and get after it and play every position, you know, a little bit above average. We saw Chris Bryant yeah. at first base on Tuesday night. He's making picks. He was taking plays all by himself. He makes unbelievable plays out there in the outfield. I mean, his versatility, it's just next level. And when you talk about those glove guys, you know, you don't really see a whole bunch of, of, of Chico Leans or, you know, Mark Lemke's or, <laughs> Or, you know, Raphael Belliard's guys like that who just are out there just because of their glove. And they, they I mean, you might as well bring a Snickers bar up to the plate because he's, he's doing absolutely nothing with the bat out there. But, you know, to, to skip topics, you know, want to jump over to, you know, uh, Tony talked about a guy like Matt Duffy, 30 years old. You know, he didn't really know what his future was like after his bang up rookie, rookie sensational year in 2015, where he finished second to Chris Bryant in the rookie of the year voting. But how about a guy like Tommy Nance? Because I know I, he holds a soft spot for me. I mean, 30 years old. The guy played independent ball. He never got drafted. I mean, and, and another night, it was, it's funny because, you know, we were out there watching him make his major league debut and we were saying to ourselves, how did this guy not get drafted? Six foot six, 97 to 99 throws absolute saw blades. And I mean, did he fly under the radar or, you know, what is it? Because every time we've seen him out there, I mean, it's, it's been a very small sample size. I mean, this guy seems like someone that scouts would be absolutely salivating over. Yeah, well, you heard uh, Nico Horner's, I think it was the pregame or postgame the other day, talk about this guy co competing in college. And, you know, that's the thing about the game, especially with pitchers or you get some setbacks or injuries, have a bad year, or you have this great stuff and don't locate for a couple seasons. Yeah, you could end up in, in journeyman heaven. I mean, that's where you end up. And, and so you have to get the opportunity. You have to have good timing. A lot of stuff is just out of your hands in this game. And, uh, and you know, but he's getting that chance now. And all the players doesn't matter what team you are, I have a great respect for anyone who's been through all this adversity and taken the long road uh, to the, to reach the big leagues. I mean, that is something you pay a lot of attention to. 
I think of players that I played with, like a, like a Darren Winston or someone who left-handed reliever and may he rest in peace. This guy, you know, had family and on the road, just trying to make it work for his kids. This, um, and you see, you root for guys like that uh, because you know, it's hard and, and you have the humility to remember that there was many times you weren't on top of the world in this game and you had to fight for it. Yeah. It's crazy. You see so many guys. I was just looking the other day. I got an email from the Chicago dogs and the Chicago dogs, they put out their 2021, uh, their roster. And at the top of their pitching staff, Michael Bowden, Michael Bowden went to my high school, Bonzi Valley high school. He used to pitch for the Boston Red Sox. I was at Fenway park and I watched him strike out Derek Jeter in a game that Jacoby Ellsbury stole home. And for Michael Bowden to still be grinding. I mean, that was 2008. And so for Bowden to still be grinding, you know, 13 years later, still, trying to accomplish that dream and get back to the show. I mean, that's something you have to tip your cap to. And for Tommy Nance, I think the same goes for him. But, you know, when, when you take a look at things that are going on inside of the game right now, outside of guys trying to get there and make it, I mean, you're mean Mercedes, Tony. I mean, he's a guy who, who toiled away in the minors and he's finally up in the bigs and he's at, out there. I mean, he's swinging an absolute telephone pole. And we saw what he did the other night against Minnesota, 3-0 count. You know, one of his homeboys out there on the mound in El Tortuga, and he, what does he do? Hits a tank. And, and his, his skipper, Tony LaRussa, said that, you know, he's going to be disciplined within the family. And it would have been a, a different scenario if it was three to one because the way they were piling on him, like, that was a strike. So if he would have taken that one, it would have been three to one, and then he could have swung away again. I mean, some of these unwritten rules are crazy. It's, they're, they're the exact opposite of the rules of the road, which are, are written down in clear, plain ink. <laughs> Yeah, it really, it's nuts. I mean, and, and the whole, it's keep it within the family. It feels like a Sopranos line or something. <laughs> what is this? Is he Don Corleone? Like, yeah, it was funny. Him off, <laughs> funny how, man, funny how. Yeah, right? It's like Joe Pesci, I mean, what's going on? Joe Pesci, man, Joe Pesci. Sticking somebody? What's going on? <laughs> yeah, it was, I mean, right, the, the reaction, and it's still going on, and it's multiple days that we're, like, talking about this, that, that LaRusse is being asked about it, that White Sox players are being asked about it, and it is crazy. What I don't really understand understand is the whole like disgracing the game thing but like I, I saw a couple points that I like like so the twins had uh you know La Tortuga out there throwing a position player because they didn't want to use a reliever but then the next day they lost a reliever because he got ejected from the game for throwing at Mercedes so it's like they lost the relievers anyways and then the whole you know position players pitching like it's not that it makes a mockery of the game I don't think that at all but I think it, it's it's already this entertainment thing that you know you don't care necessarily about end product of the game if you're the twins you're already getting blown out you're already already a blowout yeah so like that seems silly to me that all of a sudden these unwritten rules still apply but what i also don't understand too from a sportsmanship perspective is i would think you don't take walks right like you don't want to to not swing 3-0 because you might get a walk like that's silly no swing away whenever you can swing at the first pitch if you want to because it might you know speed this game along if that's what LaRusa and, and other people say that they care about in it in a blowout like that to speed it along like if I'm the other team I would you're throwing a position player to try to get guys to swing not to try to walk them you don't want to elongate this game so that's what I thought was so weird is like 3-0 should should always be a green light I think for certain hitters and the way Mercedes has been swinging the bat absolutely but then also I just don't understand why would you want to elongate the game and that's good sportsmanship but then swinging 3-0 is not what if you popped it up nobody would care <laughs> yeah, you're trying to work yeah, you're trying to work a walk off of like Gary Gaetti or something like yeah. that you know it's like come on man I mean so I mean look I, I um I've written a lot about unwritten rules and 
sometimes it's really about what rule we're talking about. Because, you know, just, just think about life in general. A lot of things that matter to us are unwritten. I mean, that's just how it is. When I sit at dinner with my family, and I, and it's like, it's, you know, understood that, okay, don't get up in the middle of the dinner, you know, you know, make sure you're, you're, you know, passing the food, setting the table, whatever. There's all these respect codes that you pass on based on tradition, family history, all these things. I mean, they're unwritten. They're unwritten. There's nothing wrong with that. I think the idea that, you know, unwritten rules are also about th- certain etiquettes that are passed down and sure you can challenge them to evolve, but they're there because, you're honoring something, right? And a lot of it is about respect, like, like not showing up your other teammate, your, your teammate or your opponent. So all that to me is fine. I, I think it's just which ones that come to light at certain moments that uh, that that really make us think about it. And, and maybe the Tatis juniors of the future challenge them in certain ways. That's that's evolution. That's part of it. That's part of the game. So yeah, I mean, so you're mean as this history is like, whatever, like I'm going to walk off this guy and this is a friend of someone I know. I don't know. I, I just think you you saw that Tim Anderson and they're kind of like BU and and the, you have to be careful with that old school because uh, I know Larusa was sort of celebrating the twins response. And I mean, you know, those are all you know, I mean, I don't know what that locker room's like today, but that's that's dicey, you know, you, you know, because that, that's probably unwritten rule there. You got to I remember going out to to um, before a game in the Florida State League. And we had had a regime come in from the White Sox to take over the Cubs minor league system. So it's a big turnover. And we go to, we're playing the White Sox and we go there early to their park. It's like spring training facilities in Florida, Sarasota or whatever. Mm-hmm. And our coach in Cubs uniform was throwing batting practice to the White Sox, his old team. And we were like, okay, wait, something's wrong with this picture. Right? So it's like, so you have a family, but you know, you always have to be mindful that you're wearing a different uniform and you still have a, a fraternal order that you're following and, but it's going to evolve and it has to evolve because the culture of the game is constantly shifting. Without a doubt. When you talk about that evolution and the culture of the game shifting, you know, it's, it's crazy how the Cubs are at the forefront when it comes to diversity, because, you know, not to, not to put myself out there, but at last look, if, if I'm correct, I think I'm the only African-American pre and post game show host in all of major league baseball. And we saw the other day, the unveiling of the new PA announcer at Wrigley field, uh, Jeremiah Paparaki. I mean, and for, for him to be out there only 21 years old, Doug, and to see mm. that this guy's still a senior in college at UIC. I mean, he's the PA announcer over there, uh, at Curtis Granderson Field, an unbelievable yard. Oh, by the way, if anyone's never seen it, you might want to go out there and take a look at it because it's pretty spectacular. You know, Curtis Granderson, a Chicago legend. But e- either way, for Jeremiah Paparaki to be 21 years old and, and just to have the pipes that he has, not just that, but the fact that he's the only African-American PA announcer in all of baseball, that's pretty special. Well, you know, it is, Cole. And, and I think just being a lover of sports and baseball you have a great respect for the, what happens with opportunity, you know, just getting a chance to, to get in the mix. And you know that over time, uh, the, the opportunity wasn't spread around fairly. It just, it just wasn't. It hasn't. And baseball is trying to, you know, recognize that, you know, this is the sport of Jackie Robinson. I mean, literally changed the world and, and embrace that. And, you know, his legacy sometimes gets shortened because we look at the times where, you know, okay, he was peaceful and turned the other cheek and all that. But Jackie Robinson was effectively on the streets for so much of his post-career, second half of his career. Um, you know, he was opening banks. He was 
you know, writing, he was a, a, an executive. So those came with opportunity. And, and these are, we're not talking about charity, we're talking about deserving people that just haven't had the chance to get in this mix where opportunity is driven by relationships and proximity. And, and here's someone that, you know, clearly is proximate to, to the opportunity and, and, you know, is, is, you know, just kicking off his career. So, you know, it's always better in, in my thought, in my world to see, uh, the, see us represented, seeing everyone represented in what is a beautiful tapestry of different people that make up our country, make up our sport. And, and, and it's not uh, something that's like, oh, it's just donating or something. This is, this is uh, what, what I appreciate about Major League Baseball is when they talk about coaching, managerial opportunities, they don't say, oh, we just have to give this to this person. We have to donate this or charity. They say, we've had a blind spot. And we have not recognized the diversity of talent that exists amongst us. And we have to rethink our metrics and the way we actually evaluate ability and, and capability and success and leadership. It's not one way of thinking. And we tend to do it in the way in our own image. And this opens it up. And when you have that diversity of thought, then you get amazing outcomes when you open yourselves up to all these different things. There's no one way to do things. There's no one way to lead. And any baseball team knows that. You need David Rosses, you need Rizzo's, you need Contreras, you need all kinds of personalities to drive success. So it kind of goes back to our original discussion on analytics. You can't measure that, that you really can't. And you could say like, this is this makes a good player, this makes, but you, you start to learn that a, a Matt Duffy changes these equations because you have all these intangibles about what makes up greatness, success, contribution, and teamwork. And so I'm, you know, I'm glad to see baseball is taking these steps and kudos to the Cubs because, uh, you know, he sounds great to me. <laughs> so, yeah. um, and, and he has a name that's going to make him a, a legend, by the way, Pop Rocky. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and to see him do his thing at only 21 years old. I mean, like I said, he's still a senior in college at UIC and he got the news that he got the gig when he was on spring break. So imagine everyone else is on spring break. They're, they're doing whatever the young collegians do when they're spring breaking. And he gets a, you know, an email or a phone call saying that, oh yeah, your next job is a job that everyone goes to school and tries to get, and you're already in school and, and you have it right now. And, you know, it, it, like I said, it makes me proud to know that, you know, he's right across the street. You know, he's, he's got that booming voice on the PA announcements and, and to, to know that he's able to do that. And not just for Jeremiah, but just for the city of Chicago, whether it's, it's Jeremiah or myself or Adam Amin on the call for Bulls games. I mean, it's a very diverse city. It's made up, you know, of, of so many different kinds of people from all different walks of life. And it's, it's just tremendous to see. And Tony, I saw you the other day, we had a, a cutaway on Cubs, uh, Cubs Live, where you guys were sitting there chatting it up. But, you know, I, I saw you guys having that conversation. But the one thing that was jumping off the page to me wasn't the fact that Jeremiah was in game two of his young career. It's the fact that you had the, the hand brace on, man. You had purple <laughs> tunnel. Is everything still going all right with you there? Yeah, it's just uh, getting over the broken finger hand uh, only about three and a half weeks in. So, yeah, unfortunately, because I, I was like, well, I don't know if you're really supposed to shake hands still in COVID or not. But uh, I was like, I can't really shake your hand anyway. So we just did like a rub some dirt on that, Tony. You got to touch yeah. it. <laughs> well, I know. I mean, that's the thing, man. If it was playoffs, I'd be out there. But it's not playoffs. It's just <laughs> 18th, 19th. You know, I'm not out there right now. It's all about the, the big picture in the long term for me. Well, we didn't we didn't Absolutely. get the story, though. What what happened? Was this, you know, was this a computer uh, a shark explosion? Yeah. Yard? All right. No, shark bite. Yeah, I was swimming a in a shark bite. All right. Uh, no, it was, yeah, you got bit by a shark like Vince Vaughn in the movie The Breakup. And the shark yes. is like the, the size of a cell phone. So, uh, there's, <laughs> yeah, there's no, that. it's just uh, flag football, uh, unfortunate, bad jamming, hand came down on top. And 
broke it and uh, unfortunately not like a really i wasn't like you know staving off like a home intruder like i don't know it was just a wrong place wrong time type of thing yeah tony tony was fighting a burglar with a samurai sword and and things went awry but uh either way you know when it comes to jeremiah paparaki like 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 uh tony and doug said you know he's going to be you know pretty successful down the stretch especially with a name like that and uh artin mcgregor well she cut up with young jeremiah and they got to chop things up and so have a listen here with Jeremiah Paprocki, the new PA announcer for the Cubs who debuted last night. So first of all, what was your debut like and the emotions that came with it? Oh man, it's amazing. It didn't feel real. It still doesn't feel real. I mean, we're up here right now and it doesn't feel real, but it's amazing. Uh, I was very uh, like excited, like I couldn't sleep that great the night before, but eventually I fell asleep and got some good rest. And then just, you know, a few minutes before the pregame, Butterflies building up, but once I started reading the pregame, just all those nerves went away, and I was smooth sailing from that point on. So we know a little bit about your background. Grew up a Cubs fan, grew up in the Chicagoland area. You've been doing PA announcing for UIC, but yeah. you haven't done it here at Wrigley Field, and so did you get any time to prepare and kind of hear the way that your voice would echo here at the Federal Landmark? <laughs> yeah, so... Uh, I was here for the live audition, and I got to hear it for the first time during that. Uh, Then once I got hired, I was brought in for like a rehearsal day and video shoot where we did the video that you guys saw on uh, social media. Uh, So then I came in and we did more practice on on the mic, and that was really cool to hear. Is there anything that makes PA announcing here at Wrigley unique when it comes to the echoes and the way that your voice carries? Yeah, it's a lot different than doing it in college. I mean, it's a much bigger field, uh, you know, a lot more people listening. Um, The echo, it sounds great in a a major league ballpark. It's a lot different. It just, you know, makes me feel really good uh, when, when the mic is on and I'm talking. Okay, we have to talk about your mom last night because that was so special. Your mom worked here for the Cubs or parked cars, is that correct? Yeah, she was a parking attendant, Okay, parking attendant. And so for her last night, I mean, I'm just assuming she was beaming with pride. What was that that like between the two of you? Oh, man, it was was emotional. I mean, we both don't know what to say. I think we're both speechless and we're still speechless, but it was just an amazing moment. Uh, You know, before the game, Hugs all around after the game. Hugs again. I brought them up here to kind of share that moment after the game. Uh, it was great they won too. So like there was more like um, emotion in the air as well. So it was, it was amazing. You're here now. You're doing the job. Now you have to set up a routine. So walk me through kind of when you get here, what the routine looks like for you. Yeah, so I just started. This is my second game. So I'm trying to figure it out. It may change over time. But right now uh, I'm trying to figure out what I'm gonna like the most, if it's paper copies or uh, digital copies. Uh, but right now, everything, mostly everything I did yesterday was off the computer. And uh, Matt, the game director, will give me information prior and I'll set that into my game scripts. Uh, I have folders that they sent me with all the scripts and all that stuff. Uh, but as for like the lineup, I print that out. It's usually easy for me to, to read off a, a sheet of paper. Uh, some of the stuff like the hefty home run reads are just like written last minute so you know there's prep like in the game as well but you know I'll try to set up here about two hours prior to the game uh, look at the um, 
MLB.com for the lineups and get that in advance, uh, look at some pronunciations, make sure I say the uh, players' names right and everything. Well, we can't wait to get to know you throughout the course of the season, but my last question for you is, we know you came to Cubs games and heard the PA voice as a young kid. If, if somebody would have told you at that point <laughs> that you would be doing this job, what would you have said? Uh, you're lying, because <laughs> I still don't believe it. I mean, even when I applied and like I came to a couple games in April and I was sitting in a right field bleachers and I was like, it's, it'd be crazy if in like a month or so I'd be in that press box doing it. And, you know, I've been to many games over the course of years and just sitting out there, it's hard to imagine. Were you testing your voice out there in the bleachers? <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah, playing I, first base, Anthony Rizzo. Yeah, I was, as, as, a, as a kid, I'd have my scorecard with the lineup on it, and I'd mimic it in the bleachers. I might have annoyed a couple people, but it definitely paid off. Awesome. Well, congratulations. Thank we you. can't wait to hear your voice all season long and for years to come. At Wintrust, we know true fans show their team pride every chance they get. With Cubs checking, you'll score a Cubs debit card so you can show your support every time you pay. Open today at Wintrust.com slash Cubs Weekly. $100 required to open. Member FDIC. All right, great conversation there with Taylor and Jeremiah. Looking for big things from that young man, especially when he's on the mic and at 21 years old. It's it's still remarkable to think. And at 21 years old, I was just trying to you know not get in trouble and make sure that I, I made my way out of college in at least six years. So there's that. And like I said, tip of the cap to Jeremiah, Taylor, Doug, and Tony for joining us here on this week's edition of the Cubs Weekly Podcast presented by Trust, proud legacy partner of the Chicago Cubs. And, and make a note, you can also listen to us on Spotify or Apple, wherever you get your podcast. And you can also check us out visually on marqueesportsnetwork.com. You can check out the app and make sure that you get all your fill of the Cubs Weekly Podcast. So for Doug and Tony, I'm Cole Wright. We'll see you next week right here, exact same time. Enjoy the rest of your week.